Welcome to The Term, a podcast about the Supreme Court by Law360. I'm Stephen Trader. I produce this podcast. I'm a senior producer here at Law360, and I'm joined by managing editor and executive producer, Amber McKinney. Amber, welcome to the show. I am always excited to talk about the high court action. This week, Natalie Rodriguez isn't with us, but she'll be back next week. Uh, Steve, you and I are holding down the fort. It's all producers. I was going to say, we we finally did it. It's the two producers. <laughs> We're taking over. This has been the plan all along. We, we've achieved it. <laughs> uh, you know, and good on us to do it at the point in the term we are, where we're actually getting opinions, like real meaty things to talk about. We got three opinions just this morning, and we're going to get into two of them today. Yeah, welcome to Thursday morning opinion session. It's always fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just jump right into the first one that we're going to talk about. This is an opinion in the case that was argued all the way back in October. I believe it was actually the first argument of the term. It's second versus the Environmental Protection Agency, and it involves a question of how much the federal government can regulate wetlands under the Clean Water Act, and more generally, what constitutes waters of the United States for the purpose of regulation. The justices chipped away at the EPA's authority today, and to give us a rundown of what the court decided, we have on the line our environmental law expert, Law360 senior reporter Juan Carlos Rodriguez. Thank you for coming by the show today, Juan Carlos. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Stephen Amber. So before we get to the opinion, let's just catch up on the backstory of the case quick. This is a really interesting set of facts and a dispute that dates back quite a while uh, involving the Sackett family in Idaho and the extent to which they could develop some of the land they owned that was considered wetlands. So can you talk us through what happened here in this case? Absolutely. Um, there's a couple of histories here that are worth just touching on. And before I get into any of that, I just want to start by saying that this is one of the biggest environmental law opinions that any of us have seen in, in many years. Um, hugely important with lots of big practical impacts going forward. And it stems from the text of the Clean Water Act itself. It contains uh, an undefined term that's called waters of the United States. Those waters are those that are subject to the Clean Water Act. So for since the Clean Water Act was was passed in the early 70s, government agencies, people who need permits and lawyers have been debating about what that actually means and which waters are actually covered. In this case, there's some Idaho landowners who in 2007 wanted to build a family home on some property in Idaho. Their property was near a lake which is considered to be a water of the United States, which is protected by the Clean Water Act. Now, their land is a fair distance from the lake, but the United States Environmental Protection Agency and Army Corps of Engineers said that a wetland that was on the uh, property owner's land was connected to this lake through a series of creeks and ditches, and therefore was also a water of the United States, therefore subject to Clean Water Act permitting requirements. The landowners challenged that decision and it's been in court up and down um, since then. This case has already been to the Supreme Court once on a different issue. And uh, today's ruling is kind of like the cherry on top that's really the whole Sunday in the matter because of the importance of the ruling. 
I really want to get into what we're talking about here in terms of parsing that waters of the United States. I mean, there's a lot that was argued about what is the term adjacent mean in that in that provision and and what is it to be a significant nexus to a navigable body of water. And those sound really technical, but I think that's the crux of it, right? So what did the court decide about those interpretations? That's right. The the crux of, of the court's opinion today was what is an adjacent uh, wetland. It's a term that is in the Clean Water Act, but again, the definition of that has been a gray area for years. During oral arguments, you know, the EPA and the Corps argued for a pretty broad interpretation of what a, a wetland that's adjacent to a water of the United States is, whereas the property owners argued for a much narrower interpretation. And five justices today agreed with the landowners that there should be a much narrower interpretation of what uh, constitutes an adjacent wetland. In this case, it basically going forward will mean a a water, a wetland that's indistinguishable from a nearby water of the United States, which you can think of as an ocean, a big lake, or uh, a big river that, you know, generally people think of as something boats can travel on, something that's navigable. This new interpretation takes a whole bunch of properties and areas and land that would previously have been considered protected by the Clean Water Act off the table. And those those areas are going to no longer be protected by the Clean Water Act. Now, in the opinion today, all nine justices agreed at least on the fact that the Ninth Circuit incorrectly ruled against the Sackett family, but then it really seemed to diverge quite a bit. Can we get into some of those concurring opinions of what what some of the uh, different thoughts from the justices were? Yep. Um, as you said, all nine justices would have you know, voted to overturn the Ninth Circuit's ruling to vacate that and remand it to that court for further consideration. But only five agreed on this narrow test that we just talked about. Justices Kavanaugh, Kagan, Sotomayor, and Jackson concurred in, in the overall judgment, but they reached a different conclusion about, about the test. Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion was notable because he said that the majority opinion goes too far and draws too narrow uh, a definition around what an adjacent wetland is. And he explicitly articulated the dramatic effect that the ruling will have on, uh, he mentioned, uh, water quality and food quality in the United States. Justices Kagan, Sotomayor, and Jackson joined Justice Kavanaugh's concurrence, and they filed uh, just uh, Justice Kagan wrote her own, which Justice Kavanaugh didn't join. But um, they didn't get too much into the facts of the case um, in that concurrence, just that they agreed with Justice Kavanaugh and uh, made a point that they thought the majority was uh, exploiting the uh, clear statement doctrine in its in its ruling, which uh, the majority cited as evidence that Congress never intended for such a broad interpretation of the Clean Water Act. And she drew a, a parallel between um, that reasoning and the reasoning that the majority used in West Virginia versus EPA, another environmental case from last term that relied on the major questions doctrine. 
which sort of has a similar thinking uh, that, you know, Congress won't give dramatic powers to federal agencies in vague or otherwise uh, obscure provisions of laws. Uh, so that was that was kind of what was notable in Justice Kagan's concurrence. These are really interesting points, JC. I do have one sort of final question for you before we we get out of here. And that's just about the scope here. I mean, you said this was obviously a major environmental ruling, and I'm just an environmental novice. So I don't know how big a deal to slot this in my brain. I mean, how much do we think we're talking about here? What are any initial reactions that you were hearing as people were wondering how this would turn out and prognosticating or anybody you've talked to today since the opinion dropped? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of reactions, um, as you might expect coming in. They run the gamut because you had lots of industry groups weighing in in favor of the property owners and lots of environmental groups weighing in in favor of, of the uh, EPA and the core. You know, states are divided along similar lines. The takeaway, though, is that, you know, less waters will be protected by the Clean Water Act going forward. You know, I think people are still trying to figure out exactly what that means, which waters will be affected the most, which regions of the country will be affected most. Are there Clean Water Act permits that have been issued that are no longer need to have been issued? Um, you know, what are the impacts going to be on the environment, on industry, all that kind of stuff people are still are still sorting through. It seems like, JC, there's going to be a lot of lawsuits stemming from this that you're going to have to write about. Yeah, that's right. And and I guess the last kind of detail I'd add is is that the Biden administration has issued a rule defining waters of the United States, which they issued just a couple of months ago, a few months ago, in advance of the Supreme Court's ruling, which took a much broader view. That rule was the third in the last three that was issued by the last three presidential administrations who have all tried to put their own stamp on defining you know, what waters of the United States means. And with this decision, um, we have a much clearer statement from the Supreme Court about um, what the agencies will be allowed to do going forward. So we got some clarity from the justices on some ambiguous issues, but it sounds like there's still plenty left to be sorted out. Juan Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time to explain this opinion to us. Thanks. It was good being here. Okay, Steve, now it's time for you and I to pivot to our second opinion we're talking about today. This one is actually, the first one we talked about was the first argued case of the term and we got a ruling. I'm bringing us the last argued case of the term and we got a ruling. Both Uh, ends of the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah. I know it doesn't sound extremely exciting if I tell you the ruling I want to talk about is about the takings clause, but what if I remind you it's about a grandma who got her condo seized by the government? I remember this case very well. Obviously, it was one of the last ones we talked about, but also just the facts in this case are very compelling. A 94-year-old grandma, you got to feel for her a little bit. And this was an interesting one. What what happened here? Yeah. I mean, if this is sounding pretty familiar to our regular listeners, it's because this case, Tyler versus Hennepin County, was, as I said, the last one argued. So there's some recency here. But also, we did bring up on the show this one in particular because the case featured Neil Katyal's 50th oral argument. So some good trivia out of this one. Yes, many elements of this case made for compelling headlines. But can you just refresh our memory quick? What were the specific facts of this case again? 
This one, as you said, was about a 94-year-old woman who had her Minneapolis condo seized by the government because she owed back taxes and some fines and fees. The condo was sold for more than she owed, but the government kept the overage. And today, the high court said that practice is an unconstitutional taking under the Fifth Amendment. This opinion came out really quickly relative to when it was argued because the ruling here is unanimous. Everyone agrees. Don't do this to the grandma. And even at oral arguments, uh, the writing was on the wall about this one and how the justices were leaning. I think we made a few jokes about how this wasn't a great day for Neil Katyal when we discussed it. But really, the facts seem pretty compelling to the justices on, on this one. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the opinion. I always like digging into good lines. I mean, that's what I always do when I get my turn on the mic at the show. Uh, this one had Roberts pointing out that the common law goes as far back as the Magna Carta, and that prevents the government from taking from the taxpayer more than it's owed. He also said this line in the opinion, the taxpayer must render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but no more. <laughs> That's a great line by the Chief Justice. And yes, you're right. This uh, this oral argument involved a lot of discussion about uh, common law, Magna Carta, all that good stuff that, you know, we always love to, to reference. History nerds rejoice. This <laughs> yes. one was for them. For sure. So uh, is there anything else important that we need to know about this one? Just a couple little things I think it's worth pointing out. This was unanimous, but Gorsuch penned a concurrence that was joined by Katanji Brown-Jackson. The court didn't address an Eighth Amendment claim that Tyler had raised about whether the funds kept by the county amounted to an excessive fine. Gorsuch, in that concurrence, argued that the excessive fines clause should have applied. So that's what that was about. And my final thought is really just around immediate impact of this one. There are 13 states, including Minnesota, that was part of this case, that allow for taxing authorities to keep more than the debtor owes. So those regimes will have to change because of this ruling. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I I, I remember again, too, at oral arguments, they were talking about, you know, what the impact will be on the states. There's a lot of states that don't do it this way. So we'll, we'll kind of see how, how uh, that all shakes out. But um, Amber, I think that does it for us. Just two out of the three, we got through it pretty quick. Um, it was great having you on the show to talk about the latest opinions. Always happy to be here. We're still waiting for, oh, the ballpark of what, 29, 30 opinions, something like that. So plenty more to go in this Supreme Court term before we're done. Um, Amber, this is the part of the show where we thank the producers, which is us. So Yes. So thank you for your hard work, Stephen Trader. Also shout out to our colleague, Kelly Marcano. And uh, thanks to me. Thanks to me. Yes. Thank you to you for you, you. You did a great executive producing of this episode. <laughs> we also want to thank a bunch of other people, though. So let's get to the real things here. Yes. Thank you to our guest this week, Juan Carlos Rodriguez, and additional reporting by Chuck Schlothauer. Music for the show comes from Slender Beats. And for more information about all the high court action, go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law 360 and the term. Thanks again for listening.